Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, Pastor Tim continues our mini-series on the life of Joseph as we see a story of God's faithfulness repeated. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. If you have a Bible, let's do a sermon. If you have a Bible, would you please turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 39. Uh, Genesis chapter 39. Um, Oh, before we turn there, uh, if you're at all interested in in joining me and my friend Jeremy Cruz from Fairhaven Church in Israel next year, uh, we have an informational meeting today. So um, this is uh, our opportunity to answer whatever questions you might have, kind of share a little bit about the trip and uh, why, why this is such a passion for us. And we'd love it if you can join us. The trip is May 13 through 24 of 2024. Um, but the informational meeting and registration is now open. And we're gonna ha- uh, we'll have that meeting today right here at 1 o'clock. And uh, we'll try to wrap up by 2 or 2.30. So if you're able to join us, it's a, it's a rainy day. So what else are you going to do? Um, come join us. Uh, and even if, it's, even if it's not for you, if it's for a friend or if it's, you know, maybe it's a, it's a dream and we'd like to do this someday, maybe not this year. Uh, come join us. Um, you'll, you'll get to hear kind of what we do. But uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39 this morning. Um, and uh, as, as you're finding it or looking it up on your phone or wherever you uh, are in a paper Bible, um, let, me, let me do something I don't do here often. Let me tell you about a, a show I'm watching. I actually finished the show. Uh, I, I don't do this often, but this particular show I really enjoy. And uh, it feels like it connects with the message we're going to look at today and the story of Joseph that we've been in. Uh, the show is a show on Netflix. It's called Quarterback. Uh, anybody see the show Quarterback? Anybody else watch it? A uh, warning to those who have young kids or uh, it, like if language is especially offensive, it, there's some adult language in it. Um, but the show itself uh, is, um, it, it, it's, it kind of highlights three quarterbacks, but really, if you've watched it, one of them kind of falls out. And so really, it's about two quarterbacks. Uh, one is Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs. They went on last year, so it, it's all filmed through last year. They went on to win the Super Bowl. And so they, they follow Patrick Mahomes as they're on their journey to the Super Bowl. And then uh, the other main quarterback that they follow is a gentleman named Kirk Cousins. He's a local guy, uh, Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings. Um, he also had an, an incredible season last year. And uh, the show itself is, is, is fascinating. Um, and, uh, and maybe I'm just mostly fascinated because we're almost at football season. That's like, right, it's next week actually is uh, preseason games. And so uh, I had somebody last year tell me, you got to stop hyping the Lions, you're jinxing it. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to hype the Lions anymore. I don't, I, uh, I don't want to, I, I don't believe in jinxing it, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put that out there. Um, so I won't talk about the Lions, uh, although I won't talk about how we are legitimately one of the best teams this year. I will not, <laughs> I won't talk about how we have actually a shot at the, at the, for sure the division title, if not the playoffs, if not, uh, if not the Super Bowl. I won't talk about, um, Jared Goff is, I won't talk about it, but Jared Goff is, Probably the most underrated quarterback in the league. Uh, and in spite of this record of year after year, he puts up the numbers. He's good. Uh, I won't talk about uh, our coaching staff. Ben Johnson and Campbell, I think, are the best in the league. Um, our one weakness last year was our defensive backs, if you remember. Um, but I won't talk about how we've shored up our defensive backs. Our, 
running back. Anyway, I won't talk about the Lions. I will talk about the, the documentary quarterback. Here's why I like the show uh, so much. Um, Kirk Cousins throughout the show. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on Kirk Cousins. If you've, but if you watch the show, I, I know what your thoughts are. Uh, Kirk Cousins throughout the show is just a picture of complete integrity. And, uh, and throughout the show, uh, in a world where a lot of people, especially young people, make athletes their heroes, uh, and uh, oftentimes those heroes really disappoint, uh, I would not be embarrassed at all if my son were to make, Kirk, or, my, or my daughters, were to make Kirk, Cousin, Kirk Cousins their uh, kind of athletic hero. Um, uh, he is just a man. Uh, the word I would use for uh, Kirk Cousins' presence throughout the show is he's very uh, centered, it's just centered. Uh, there's a noticeable energy shift if you watch the show. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is an entertainer, and it's loud music, and it's high energy, and then all of a sudden it'll pan to Kirk Cousins, and it's kind of calm. <laughs> the whole thing just kind of feels like uh, it, he's just really centered. Um, the circumstances of their life aren't all that different. Uh, both of them uh, have families. Both of them are trying to you know, stay healthy, deal with injuries. Both of them are trying to deal with the press, right? Sometimes the press is on their side and sometimes the press turns against them and both of them have to deal with the pressures of the press and how is the press, um, how's the media going to portray them? Uh, but as you watch, uh, they're very different in kind of their approach to just their life in general. And uh, again, the word I would use is Kirk Cousins just felt like he's got this integrity and this centeredness. And I... Um, Maybe you watch the show and you're thinking, where does that come from? Here's why I love the show the most. It actually tells us on Netflix. Uh, you watch the show and you realize, they don't use this word, but um, there's this moment where Kirk Cousins is describing how in order for him to do the football thing, to be the greatest athlete, he also needs a day where he's not a quarterback and he's not a celebrity. And uh, he takes a day and he goes for a long walk with his wife and he's a dad to his kids now, we would call that Sabbath. He would call that Sabbath. And, uh, and he talks about his, his Sabbath. And he talks about his family rhythms and how he, um, his wife talks about how they pregame to worship music. And, uh, and in many ways, the quarterbacks are very similar. Uh, they both talk about eating healthy and clean and, uh, and the importance of training hard and the mental game and learning the playbook and all of that. Um, but... But uh, there's just this, like, um, I, I almost feel sad that when we were going to beat him, if I'm honest. Uh, the Lions, I almost feel sad. Uh, I almost feel sad. But uh, it's, and it's not, I don't mean to say that Mahomes isn't, like, a good man and a family man. Uh, he seems to be. He Honestly, he seems to be. But there's something about Kirk Cousins in it that uh, is just very, very centered. And I've been thinking about that silly little documentary that I watched uh, on Netflix and, uh, and as we've been working through this Genesis material, and there's this uh, then as in now. So as we've been working through the story of Joseph, then as in now, this, the circumstances between two people can be identical. And yet how we respond to the circumstances, uh, well, that, that really is what matters. It's not so much what circumstances come our way. Like in many ways, two people can go through the exact same stuff, but how we respond and, uh, and central to the Joseph story that we've been exploring, and now we're, I think we're on week three in the Joseph story, um, what we see is that what makes great men and women throughout history is uh, 
is what their understanding of greatness is. Does that make sense? Like what, what they, it's good to win football games, but it's better to be somebody of character integrity off the field. What matters on the field matters on the field. Um, it's good to win football games, but what you do with it off the field, that's really what matters. And, uh, and that's what I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about today as we kind of turn towards chapter three in our, in our Joseph saga. Uh, I want to spend some time thinking together about an, an identity or character. Um, a couple weeks ago, we named that for many of us, if not most of us, if not all of us, uh, it was our family of influence. Uh, our, 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 I'm sorry, our, the family we grew up in who had the greatest influence over kind of who we become. They at least, they, they paved the foundation for the kinds of men and women we are today. I want to add a layer to that because for, for a lot of us, um, there is an identity that we identify towards. And for many of us, those identities that were established young, like very young, like middle school, maybe even before middle school, but especially in middle school, young. And those identities, uh, it, for many of us, are still the things we are wrestling with today. Um, so uh, if your worth and your value then came from being popular and, uh, and being the, like the one who hangs out with the popular crowd or is the popular crowd, now I'm 40. Uh, there's no such thing as a popular crowd, right? My, I, I don't make friends and be like, oh, he's in the popular crowd. Like that, that kind of goes away. And I think that's hard to understand as a middle schooler. It kind of goes away. Um, but however, the, the idea behind being in the popular crowd, that longing to be accepted, that longing to be noticed, well, that kind of hangs on a little bit. Um, or if, if then your worth and your value came from being athletic, uh, now you're often you can still find yourself in that camp of, I want to be the, the most athletic person. I want to be the alpha. I want to be the one who can still outthrow everybody else. I got to be, I got to be the guy with the most dead animals hanging on my wall or something like that. It's still there somewhere. Or if your identity then was about being smart or being witty or successful, uh, still to this day, it's a lot of our identity can be wrapped around. Uh, I'm the one who has the quickest comebacks. I'm the one who can win the arguments. I'm the one who knows the latest uh, about all the things. Uh, if your identity then was to be the attractive one, now you may still find yourself worrying about uh, what is my weight and is my stomach flat and do I have the wrinkles? And, uh, and, and still to this day, like we wrestle through this stuff. Uh, identity, how we see ourselves, how we gauge whether or not we have worth and value. Think about how much of our God-given creativity and energy goes towards that. I want to spend some time thinking about that. Imagine if you were set free from having to worry about all of that. Um, now, uh, if you're new with us, we've been working our way chapter by chapter through the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, last week, we bumped into a story that we called an awkward commercial break. Uh, Hannah did amazing with that message. It's a t- it was awkward, and she did great with that story. Um, uh, but the story we looked at last week is kind of random in the text. Uh, chapter 37 is the beginning of the Joseph story. Chapter 39 is about Joseph. Chapter 40 is about Joseph. Chapter 41 is about Joseph. 42, 43, 44. All the way through the end of Genesis is all Joseph. But in the kind of at the, in the middle of the, the energy of the Joseph story. He's been slow, sold into slavery. Uh, we have this kind of awkward commercial break where we are, have a narrative that seems out of place, kind of out of time in the story. 
Judah, Joseph's brother, is a little bit older now, and it's kind of spliced in there. And so last week we asked the question, why is that story there? Um, and the story we learned is there for a good reason. In fact, uh, in many ways, the Judah and Tamar story of last week, okay, uh, 80s children, stay with me on this. You remember the secret decoder rings you used to get in like cereal boxes? It functions like a secret decoder ring for the whole Joseph story. Um, and there's a detail in that story that becomes kind of really critical that's going to follow Joseph throughout his life. And when we see the detail and we understand what the details, what's What's it there for? The whole story kind of falls into place. So what's the detail? Well, first, let's go back two weeks. Uh, If you remember two weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of Joseph's story. Joseph is the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. This is God's family. And we learned in the story that Joseph is dad's favorite. How do we know this? Because dad himself uh, doesn't try to hide that fact. Dad buys him this... uh, Dad, Jacob, buys his son, Joseph, this ornate coat. And, uh, and before we move on, let me spend just a few minutes thinking about that coat. That's a, it's a weird detail of that coat we find in the story. They turned it into a whole um, Broadway musical. Uh, I've not seen it. Jared says it's not good. I don't know. Some people say it's so good. You think, okay, so we've got an, a fight in the car. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> But do you, do you remember how we read that, uh, that dad gave Joseph this really elaborate coat and uh, that coat sparked what seems to be his brother's jealousy. That was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. They plot to kill him. They decide last minute, let's not kill him. Let's sell him off to the Egyptians. Uh, now, the way I've typically understood the story was that this particular coat was a coat that Jacob gives his son Joseph and the reason the brothers are so mad was that they don't have a coat. He gives one son a coat, but nobody else has a coat. And then it's a really fancy coat to make it even worse, but they don't have a coat. I no longer think that that's the right read of the story. Here's why. Um, in that area of the world, then as in now, uh, it gets really cold at night. It's in the desert. Um, and uh, by day, the desert gets really hot. But by night, because there's no cloud coverage, temperatures can get down to 45. Uh, low 50s some days. Um, so it can get really cold. Anyone who's come to Israel knows that the Dead Sea region at night can be pretty cold. Uh, and then in the day, it can get up to 110. I mean, it gets, it gets pretty hot. Uh, but it gets pretty cold. Now, uh, most people at that time and now uh, would have at least two forms of clothing. You'd have an inner garment and you would have an outer garment, what we would call a coat. Your dad, the patriarch of the family, remember when we talked through Beit Av and the father's household? It was your dad's responsibility, the dad's responsibility, the oldest male in the family. It was his responsibility to make sure that the people in his family, his Beit Av, the father's household, were cared for. All their needs are met. So uh, culturally, it's most likely that if it gets cold at night and they have the means to pay for it, which we know they do, that it's culturally most likely that all of the brothers are given coats by dad. Okay, that that was, my understanding was, okay, this is, so what's different about this coat? Because it does spark the brothers' anger. It does spark their jealousy. What's different about this particular coat? Well, first, how old was Joseph when he got the coat? Do you remember? It's in the text, but it's kind of slid in there. 
He's 17. Well done. Uh, he's 17 years old when he gets the coat. Now, question for you. How many of you waited to give your... You, you live in Michigan. How many of you waited to give your kids coats until they were 17? Yeah, yeah, that would be awful. Uh, Joseph likely already had a coat. Everybody wore a coat. This coat, yes, it's a little bit more ornate. It's a little more elaborate. And that's the detail we get fixated on. But, but why are the brothers, Joseph's brothers, so upset? Probably, most likely, almost certainly, it's because this would have been Joseph's second coat. Now, that detail matters. Why does it matter? Um, why, why is this the detail that the brothers are all worked up over? Well, in ancient culture, ancient Middle Eastern culture at least, uh, the firstborn son of a family would receive a double portion of the inheritance. So uh, remember, the, the, in your Beidav, it's the patriarch's duty to make sure that the family's cared for. And he would pass on that responsibility to the oldest living male. And how that was the, the firstborn, in Hebrew it's the Bechor, uh, that Bechor of the family would receive a double portion. So if you had two sons, you would divide your inheritance three ways, and he would receive a double portion. If you had five sons, you would divide your inheritance six ways, and he would receive a double portion. Uh, you would always give your oldest a little bit more because he was going to be responsible for caring for everyone. So with that in mind, what is Jacob, dad, what is he saying when he gives, jo- when he gives Joseph a second coat? You are the Bahor. You are the firstborn. I see you as the firstborn of the family. This is the detail that the brothers say, wait a minute. Why are they so angry? Is Joseph the firstborn of that family? No. In fact, he is uh, number 11 out of 12. He is the second youngest in the family. So why does dad say to Joseph, you're going to be the Bacor, you're going to be the firstborn, you're going to get two coats. Why does he give him two coats? Okay, you got to follow me here. Remember years earlier, Jacob steals the, the birthright and then he outright steals the blessing from his brother Esau. He then goes on the run because Esau wants to kill him. Remember the story? He wants to kill him. Uh, he runs to his uncle Laban's house. While he's at his uncle Laban's house, he sees a girl. And he is smitten by her. And so he says to his uncle Laban, I will, what do, you, what do I need to do? And uncle Laban says, work for me for seven years and I will marry, you will marry this girl. Her name was Rachel. He works for seven years. And then dad does the old switcheroo and he ends up marrying the less attractive sister. That's what the, the text says. That's not my words. That's the Bibles. Um, but he marries the less attractive sister, a gal named Leah. Leah has a kid. This is what we read, Genesis 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to, re- to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Oh yeah, by the way, he will eventually get Rachel seven years more of working. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. So, so Leah's hope is, okay, my husband doesn't love me. Uh, Jacob doesn't love me, but if I have a kid... Maybe then, maybe then, not because he loves me, but because of what I can give him. And so she gives birth to the firstborn of the family, a kid by the name of Reuben. Now, uh, we read that it's not Reuben who gets this coat. He's not seen as the firstborn uh, in Jacob's eyes. Um, but, but whose son 
Uh, Joseph is, but whose son is Joseph? Yeah, here's that detail. This is uh, Genesis 30. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her, enabled her to, con- to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph. So, is Joseph the firstborn of Jacob? No, he's actually the 11th. However, he is Jacob's firstborn with Rachel. So now you see why the brothers are all worked up. Wait a minute. He's now like pushed the entire family aside for this because he didn't love mom. He doesn't love us. He's now going to pass all of his blessing down to just Rachel's kids. Well, what if we get rid of him? What if we kill him? Or, okay, better, let's sell him off into slavery. If we sell him off into slavery, if we get rid of him, maybe then dad will do what's right and he will name Reuben the firstborn. So that's what they do. They work up this plan. They throw him in a pit, an empty cistern. They sell him off and eventually he ends up, uh, Genesis 37 ends this way. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. That's how 37 ends. It's like a cliffhanger ending. What's going to happen with Joseph now? He's, he's with Potiphar. He's in Egypt. And then we get to chapter 38, and all of a sudden it's like, eh, that story's done. Let's, let's tell the story about Judah and Tamar. And we said, okay, that's kind of like the secret decoder ring. What's the story about Judah and Tamar? Well, that whole story centers on deception. It centers on a scandal that has been revealed. And the scandal has been revealed through the giving of clothes. Remember to look at them, examine them. And what we learn from Judah, and again, uh, if you missed it, Hannah did a really beautiful job of that message. Um, What we learn from Judah is he has a change of heart. He grows. He recognizes something. That story happens, and then we're right back into our Joseph story. So, uh, Genesis 39, let's just work through the story together. Uh, Genesis 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now, um, pause here. Notice Potiphar's resume, where he ends up. He's not just anyone. He's one of Pharaoh's officials. And he's not just any one of Pharaoh's officials. He's the captain of the guard. Feel the tension in the story. How is a Hebrew slave who's now imprisoned to the captain of the guard? He's like in charge of the secret service. How is he going to get out of this one? Keep reading. Uh, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From that time, uh, from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Okay, let's pause here again. How do you feel if you're Joseph right now? 
Now, part of me wants to say he's rising up the ranks. God's on his side. We see this line again and again. Uh, The Lord was with him. The Lord gave him success. The Lord blessed the household. It was the blessing of the Lord. And so part of you wants to say, yay, God, he's faithful to Joseph. And Joseph is rising up the ranks. This is awesome. This is good. And at the same time, if we pause for a moment of honesty, if you're Joseph, how does this feel? A part of you has to feel a little bit jaded. Sold by your family at 17? cut off from your family, cut off from your land at 17 years old. Now you're in the house of Potiphar and you've climbed the ranks, but the text is very clear that as you work harder, you're lining his pockets. Uh, That line, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. You're like actually working really hard and as you work harder, you're just helping him get wealthier. How do you feel if you're Joseph? Let me ask this another way. Have you ever felt taken advantage of? Like you worked hard and somebody else gets the praise? You worked hard and somebody else gets the promotion? You're a good person. And somebody else, uh, the person you wanted to go to the dance with goes to the dance with somebody else? You ever feel like you got looked over and you just were doing the right thing? At some point, I'm expecting that right now Joseph is feeling a bit jaded. Come on, God. I'm, I'm still owned. Yes, I'm in a good position in this household, but I'm still not in my household, and I'm still owned by another person. I'm expecting that the very first chance he has to speak up, he's going to speak out against his, uh, his slave master. Let's see what happens. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. To quote the theologian Scooby-Doo, roll, roll, scraggy. Uh, <laughs> but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing? And here's, this is key. This is key to understanding Joseph's mind. And sin against God. He doesn't say, how could I do such a thing and sin against my master? How could I do such a thing and sin against your husband Potiphar? His response is, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He puts in some boundaries. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran out of the house. By the way, how can you say that the Bible is boring? This is a good story. Uh, This is more entertaining than Barbie. I've not seen it, but I know. Uh, this is, he, so he refuses to sleep with her. She's got his coat in, his, in her hands. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has, bought, has brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. This Hebrew, he's second in command. Everybody knows who he is. You see how she diminishes him back? Who's brought to us? 
He's just a slave. He's risen the ranks, but he's just a slave. And now she's got the coat in her hands, and she's worked up the story. It's not a true story, but she's got the coat in her hands, and she's worked up a story. Any other memories of when somebody had Joseph's coat in their hand, and they made up a story? Now it's going to be her word versus, well, does Joseph say anything? Let's find out. Uh, she kept his cloak beside, verse 16, she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him, him this story. That Hebrew slave you, you brought to us came to, make, came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, uh, told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Okay. Keeps getting worse for Joseph, right? Now I'm wondering, how, now, Joseph, how are you going to respond? Now you're going to get jaded, right? Now you're going to get a little bitter. Now, after all of this, you just do the right thing. You just try to trust God. And after all of this, you just kind of find yourself in another dungeon, another pit, all alone. Now you're going to shake your hands at God and say, how dare you, God? Uh, by the way, the story has a, a bit of deja vu, right? Feel it? Joseph's wearing a cloak. He, here's the details. He's wearing a cloak. He's the number two in the household. It gets removed from him. The cloak is then brought to uh, his master as evidence against him, but that evidence is built on a lie, and that ends up with him being thrown in a pit. Those details happen to be the exact details in the exact order of what happened uh, two chapters earlier um, with his brothers, right? It's Joseph's wearing a coat. It was given to him by his dad. Uh, it's a symbol of him being the number two in the household. He's the Bakor. He's the firstborn. It's removed by his brothers, brought to dad, all part of this elaborate scheme, this plot, this, this lie. Joseph is then thrown into an empty cistern, we'd say a pit. We've heard this story before. And now I'm thinking, okay, Joseph, you're now going to get jaded, right? After all of this, after all of this, now, uh, you, you were cast out of your family, sold off into slavery, thrown into a pit the first time. Then you worked your way back up the ranks. Hard work. We're told it's hard work. And now you're back in top, and you're just doing the right thing. And then you get accused again, lied to again, and you're back in a pit. To quote Drake, I started at the bottom, now I'm here. <laughs> right? Like He's still back. To, no, no Drake fans. <laughs> Good on you. Uh, but instead, I, instead I read this, uh, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. That's our story. Here's my question. How? How do you stay faithful after being betrayed by your family, just a 17-year-old kid, thrown out by your family, treated like trash by your family, uh, how do you stay faithful after being made a slave in someone else's house, 
working your way from the bottom to the top, how do you stay faithful? How does Joseph remain faithful to God when his life is spinning out of control and he finds himself again and again and again and again and again in a pit? How does he do it? And then maybe more pertinent, what can we learn from him so that we can do it? It's easy to be faithful when life is going great, but how do we stay faithful when it feels like it's one attack uh, after another, one fire after another? How do we stay faithful? Brings you back to the coat. Uh, We have three stories involving clothing, coats, um, and we began with the question of why the coat? It's like the author wants us to wrestle with this, the secret decoder ring. We were given identities. Can we move on from those identities? Can we grow? Can we change? Or are the identities that are handed to us ultimately the things that are going to define us? The first coat was stripped off of him. It was a coat to identify him as the Bachor, the firstborn. Now he's earned it back. Joseph could easily easily justify why he has to do what Potiphar's wife wants him to do. Um, it's, it's actually for the good of the kingdom. This is maybe what God wants. I, like, she, the worst case scenario is uh, she, I, we get caught. Worst case scenario is like, we get caught and I get thrown into prison for doing it. Um, but if I run away, there's a worse, worst case scenario. She can accuse me of attacking her. And then it's going to be even worse. So I could justify it simply on I'm trying to protect my own skin, God. And yet what you discover here is again and again, Joseph remains faithful, he keeps integrity, and he does the right thing. He doesn't play victim. How? How does he do it? Uh, The story tells us, I propose to you that um, there's something in the story that's been there the whole time, and you're going to see it again and again and again and again in Joseph's story. It's actually in most of our stories, and it's in most of the biblical stories. Um, but often, because we get so fixated and focused on all the negative going around us, it's a little detail that we miss. If you notice in the story how present God is in the story. The Lord did this. The Lord was with him here. The Lord provided for him here. Is it a coincidence that Joseph's about to get killed and last minute the brothers decide to sell him off into slavery? Spares his life. No, the text tells us it was God. Is it a coincidence that he ends up in an Egyptian's house, but not just any Egyptian, the guy who works right under Pharaoh? No, the text tells us that that was God. God's the one who did that. Is it a coincidence that it's, he'll eventually go back in a pit, accused of something he didn't do, but it'll be that very pit that allows him to rise and actually meet the Pharaoh where you know, if you know the story, you know where the story's going. Is that a, is that a coincidence? Again, all these coincidences seem to add up, and yet it's, again and again, the text tells us it was God, 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 it was God. Joseph has every reason to be jaded if he focuses in on the negative. But what you see in Joseph is he understands that there is an identity that is far bigger than, it's not an identity that can be stripped from him. There is an identity that he has in who God is, that no matter what else happens, if he stays faithful to that, God will be with him. Uh, Maybe you could say it this way. Um, Joseph understands that it's not who he is, but it's whose he is. Uh, There's a moment in the Netflix show Quarterback. Um, Kirk Cousins has, I'm sorry for talking about football so much, but 
I, I, this, this moment is beautiful. Episode seven, halfway through. You should watch it for this moment alone. Uh, Kirk Cousins has lost the playoff game. Big deal. Uh, Minnesota Vikings, they, did, they had an amazing season. They won all these games barely and got in and they worked hard. And, uh, and this game, uh, he just lost. So his Super Bowl shot is gone and the season is over. And uh, he gets in his car and he and his wife are talking and um, he names like, hey, he's replaying all the negatives, right? And he's saying, yeah, there were three things that I did. I could have done differently that we could have won the game. Uh, then he goes home, which, by the way, is in itself a, a small miracle in our world, right? When we lose, we often don't go home. We go vent or we go uh, drown it or we go wherever, right? Like he goes home and his, uh, it's a beautiful moment, his little boy who couldn't go to the game because he's too little, his little boy says, daddy, did you win? And he says, no, daddy didn't win. Um, he then brushes, uh, brushes the kid's teeth, gives them a shower or a bath, reads them a book. And uh, I, I honestly could not believe they actually showed this on Netflix. Um, they, there's this moment after all of the ritual of our normal parent life. By the way, this little four-year-old, after he says, no, daddy didn't win, he could care less. <laughs> our kids really don't care, do they? What our successes are at work. Right? They don't really care. None of our little kids really care about our successes at work. So uh, the little boy is like, oh, yeah, okay, let's read a book. Um, uh, and then there's, so he does the teeth and the bath, and he then uh, reads this book, and then he goes to put them to bed. And there's this beautiful moment where uh, he's praying over his kids, and before he says a prayer, he sings to his kids, which I assume he does every night. Um, it's an old song. You may know it. On Christ a solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I, um, I promise you I was crying when he was doing this. It was such a beautiful moment. He just lost. Uh, he says earlier, this was the biggest game of my career. It's maybe the biggest game of his life. Um, after the Lions beat them this year. Uh, it's a beautiful moment, though, that he, there's this moment at the end where you realize that how does Kirk Cousins have integrity and, and character is he recognizes that all other ground is sinking sand. Winning a playoff game is awesome. Work hard for it. Um, and if it comes, you praise God for it. But if it doesn't come, you're going to be okay. There's a story Jesus tells uh, uh, where it actually feels like he's playing on the Jacob, Esau, Joseph stories where a father gives his son a coat. Um, we know the story. It's my favorite story in the Bible. It's known as the story of the prodigal son. And in the story of the prodigal son, uh, this son tries on all of these other identities. He's looking for happiness. And he thinks, if I have money, then I'll be happy. And he goes looking for money, wants his dad's inheritance, squanders all of his money. Eating pig slop, we read. Not happy. Uh, if I have autonomy, then I'll be happy. If I have uh, individuality, I'll be happy. And he goes on his own, and he's, you know, he's, a, he's free. And uh, he does what a lot of young people do when they realize they're free. Like, freshman year of college, I'm free. And he ends up totally miserable. And finally, after trying on all these different identities, thinking, one of these identities I can put on me, and it'll fit. He finally realizes that none of them fit. And so he works up this speech. Speech goes like this. Uh, Dad, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I blew it. 
So don't take me back as your son. Take me back as a slave because your slaves have it better. Actually, your hired men is the language in the Bible. Your hired men have it better than I have it out here on my own. So he works up the speech and then he comes running home and dad gets, sees him with an eye shot and dad comes running out to him with this coat and this ring for the family crest and these shoes. And as he gets ready to say his speech, dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Dad puts the coat on him and essentially says, you'll always be my son. There's nothing you can do, nothing to ever lose that identity. It's always been there, and it will always be here. You just now see that. What you find in this particular story, that you're going to see it in Joseph's life, he can remain faithful. Um, for the same reason, all men and women of integrity and character throughout history have remained faithful, it is the truest identity that he understands, a thing that cannot be taken away no matter how hard the critics, the media, the opposition, whatever comes at him. His firm identity is in who Christ says he is. Watch the section, episode seven, middle of the way through. Uh, Just for that moment alone. Actually, if you know it, sing it with me. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Would you join me in prayer? Uh, gracious Lord, uh, for all, Lord, we recognize and we confess that all of us uh, at different moments and in every moment, we try on different identities. Lord, we recognize that there's Uh, often a hole that we're trying to fill. And uh, Lord, we fall for the lies of the enemy that uh, lots of things outside of you can fill those voids. And uh, Lord, right now we come and we confess that um, the more we run after them, the further we find ourselves from joy. And Jesus, would you remind us that we, though we may think we are unworthy, though we may think that we're unworthy to be called your children because of what we've done, Lord, would you remind us of the story you told so long ago that there's nothing we can do. Lord, I pray for uh, that um, person in our room this morning who's really feeling as though uh, they don't deserve your love. Would you remind them? Lord, would you do what my words can't do? And would your Holy Spirit speak to their hearts and remind them of who they are and whose they are? Uh, Jesus, we love you and we pray this in your name. And everybody said... We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings, you can find our services streamed live at 10 a.m. on our Facebook page. And now from all of us at South Harbor Church and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.